So I just continue to fall back on my uh, love for history, and I bear with me as I start my message with Augustine of Hippo, who is considered to be one of the great church fathers of the Western church. He was both an influential theologian and philosopher, and of course, being a philosophy student myself, I had great interest in um, reading philosophy, and I was required to read Augustine in college, but I didn't enjoy it because he became a follower of Christ, and that influenced his writing very much. He lived between 354 A.D. and 430 A.D., um, so that puts him in the 4th and 5th century hundreds of years after the last, after Jesus and after the last apostle. Uh, we know that the apostle John lived to around 95 AD. Most of the apostles or all of them were dead by then. Um, Augustine experienced a radical conversion to Christ at the age of 32, which also meant he had a pretty broad life experience before he got to age 32. Um, before he uh, met his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Augustine had uh, a mistress named Claudia. Shortly after he found Jesus, Augustine met Claudia walking on the street. Claudia was so excited, she yelled out, Augustine, Augustine! And he didn't seem to notice her. Augustine, Augustine, it's Claudia! And he did not acknowledge her. He said this. It is no longer Augustine. And then he walked away. He got it. He wasn't the same Augustine. He was a new man. He had a new identity. He had become a follower of Christ. And that would change his decisions and his choices and his behavior. He was created in Christ Jesus to walk in the good works that God had prepared before the foundation of the world that he should walk in them. Augustine put off the old and he put on that which was new. So just a reminder in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters the Apostle Paul lays this foundation work of our identity, who we are in Christ. There are no commands in the first three chapters. Quite a few applications, but no commands where you're told to do this, okay? But this is who you are in Christ. We found out that we've received, when we came to faith in Christ, part of God's gift to us wasn't something we did wasn't something that we earned or deserved. Uh, we received every spiritual blessing, according to the Apostle Paul. Uh, in love, we were predestined to be adopted as sons by God. We were redeemed in Christ. We, were, we have been given forgiveness of sins in Christ. We were given the mystery of His will about what God had planned for the church. We were included in Christ. We were made members of the body of Christ. We were placed into that body. We were marked by God and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We were guaranteed an eternal inheritance. 
pie in the sky. We were given riches of his glorious inheritance. We haven't received them yet, but they're ours. We were made alive with Christ. I was dead in in my sin, and now I'm alive in Christ. We were given the riches of his glorious inheritance. We were uh, saved from sin's penalty. We were given a position in the heavenlies with Christ at the right hand of God. We were given works to do that were prepared before the foundation of the world. We were brought near to God. We have been reconciled to God. We have been given access to the Father through Jesus. We were made members of God's household. And we have been uh, given access to God the Father. You know what? This is just the book of Ephesians. That's all. It's not all the other books that Paul wrote where he adds to these things that were given to us in Christ. This is our identity. If you are a genuine follower of Christ, if you've been born again and received forgiveness from God, this is your identity in Christ. So what are some of the implications? Um, Let me bring us back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. So I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians 4 because we're going to look at verses 17 through 32 today. And uh, I said that this chapter 4 would start slowly And then it would pick up speed, and we're going to be picking up speed as we work through this passage this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 is verse 1. After all three chapters of our identity in Christ, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, he writes, as a prisoner in Rome, he says, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. A worthy life. That's what we're talking about. A worthy life. If you have an outline in your program, I encourage you to follow along, and we'll have an outline on the screen behind us. Uh, the first thing on our outline is, is that the Christ follower's way of thinking changes. This is what Augustine understood, his way of Jesus Christ. The way of thinking changes. It's different than that of an unbeliever. We see this in verses 17 uh, through 19. And let, let's just read this uh, portion, verses 17 through 19. The Apostle Paul writes these words, follow in your scripture. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. It's, it's got to change the way we think. They are darkened in their understanding. That's about thinking and separated from the life of God. That's a consequence because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continued lust for more. Their whole approach is different. It's not to be that way for a follower of Christ. Verse 17. It needs to be our thinking changes. It's different than unbelievers. It's not futile in thinking. He says, I insist on this in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Here, uh, Paul is talking about Gentiles. Gentiles are not Jewish people. But he's using a term here. Um, he's talking about people who don't know the ways of God, who don't understand biblical Christianity. He's just talking about the unbeliever. Um, certainly, there were Jewish people who were unbelievers too. Ephesians are Gentiles. He's talking about their neighbors. People who don't know Jesus yet. 
And the focus is on their thinking. Don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, um, I placed my faith in Christ at the age of 25 and what my life was like after. My way of thinking changed pretty drastically. It's a lot harder for a child. My wife placed her faith in Christ when she was four years old. I believe she was really converted at four years, that she actually became a follower of Christ and was born again at the age of four. But do you think her thinking changed a lot from day one to day two? She was raised in a Christian environment. Going to church was normal for her. Hearing about Jesus and prayer was normal for her. It didn't change a lot. And it's, uh, it can be really drastic for an adult. And growing up in a home like that can be really good where, you, where, you're, where you're nurtured in your faith, but it also can be really hard to think, how does a non-Christian think? And I don't understand that, and I'm not even sure I want to be a Christian. It's really easy to have doubts when you're raised in a Christian home. Sometime you have to address those. Um, so, 18, an understanding. Believers are not to live in the dark. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. An unbeliever is darkened in their understanding. Um, they don't have a spiritual realm to operate in. They don't have spiritual sight. They don't understand spiritual things. Um, their sins are not forgiven. They are not citizens of heaven they don't understand that there is a counterfeit spiritual kingdom led by Satan. That's insight into the spiritual word. They are darkened. Jesus is the light of the world. We are to walk as children of the light. An unbeliever just doesn't have that option. It's just not there for them. They don't have the creator's viewpoint. The one who designed the human being, they don't have his perspective. They are spiritually darkened. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul addresses, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned, they discerned only through the Spirit. Discerned only through the Spirit. A couple of things here. One is, sometimes we share the gospel and it's really hard for non-Christians to understand us. There's a good reason. We shouldn't expect them to to be able to understand and think necessarily about Christian things. It doesn't always make sense to them. Please understand that, yes, they can reason and logic, and God works, and he can open their hearts and open their minds, and they can come to faith. But sometimes I see Christians getting mad at non-Christians, and you're not even on the same page. They can't be. Don't expect them to understand spiritual things the way you do. Not only that, it seems foolishness. It's exactly what I thought of Christianity when I was in college, majoring in philosophy. I was growing in knowledge, book knowledge, but I had no spiritual concept of reality from that viewpoint. And the whole Jesus dying on the cross thing seemed foolish to me. Don't be surprised that people think that way. It doesn't mean that people can't be smart. It doesn't, pe- doesn't mean people can't have an IQ like Scorpion, 160 and above. 
We have a lot of smart people, and they can do amazing things and accomplish amazing things and be very successful in this world, but very unsuccessful at the most important things about knowing God, loving God, and loving others. Um, not only that, Second Corinthians 2, uh, ch- chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the spiritual realm, and he says that even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, meaning those who perish, they cannot see or discern the truth. The, the God of this age, that's a reference to Satan. It's a reference to the evil one, to the adversary. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They can't see Jesus the way you do. They're blinded. That's the work of the enemy. Prayer is a spiritual weapon. That's one of the reasons we pray is because Prayer can bring down the strongholds of the enemy. Prayer can break down that uh, barrier, that veil that covers the mind of an unbeliever, that, that, that keeps them from seeing this. It's real. Verse 18, an unbeliever is separated from the life of God. A believer is, is not separated from the life of God. The, the, uh, the believer has been given the life of God. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, as Jesus talked about in John 3, you were born, you are now connected for, with God for an eternity. And you don't deserve it and you never will. Okay? A believer is not connected. A believer is, an unbeliever, excuse me, is separated from the life of God. Um. Isaiah 59 reminds us of this, Isaiah 59, verse 2, but he says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin separates people from God. And for, the, for an unbeliever, it's eternal separation unless they make a change and place their faith in Jesus. Sin is a barrier and it separates. Verse 19, uh, believers are not to be like unbelievers. And verse 19, a description of the unbeliever having lost all sensitivity. Sensitivity to the most important things. God first. How to relate to God. The most important things. How to relate to other people. How to relate to your wife. How to relate to people in your church family. How to re- relate to people in your workplace. Um, these are how to love God, how to love your neighbor. These are the most important things. And not to be spiritually insensitive. Unbelievers are spiritually insensitive. They might be sensitive in different ways and compassionate in different ways, but they are not in tune with the heart of God. Verse 19, not given to sensuality. A believer is not to be given to sensuality. Uh, Unbelievers have given themselves to sensuality. The focus of sensuality is sexual expression. It dishonors God. It is self-centered and self-focused. It's expression in marriage can't be. Now, it doesn't mean that negative, out-of-bounds, 
Christian in marriage can't be sensual. It's not what it's talking about. This, this is talking about a negative, out-of-bounds uh, immorality. Um, verse 19, also, not indulging in impurity. So as unbelievers, and he's talking about the society in general. He's not talking about just you know one person. He does all these things. This is society in general. Uh, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. The unbelieving world, the unbelieving society indulges in every kind of impurity. A believer is to no longer focus on impurity. Impurity focuses on the moral thought life. It especially relates to sexuality. It includes lust. Thoughts that take people outside of God's boundaries for sexuality. Pure sexual thoughts stay in the boundaries of marriage with the God design. It's very destructive to our culture. It's very destructive to our homes, to our marriages, and it's going to affect our kids. Um, and then also, um, the last part of verse 19 is not to be full of greed. A believer is not to be greedy. And the, our society... And Paul would say is, is full of greed. Um, greed is wanting to have more and more of what you have enough of already. Our economy runs on this. You know, that's what makes the gross national product go up. It makes the Dow Jones grow, go up. It makes our 401k grow up, go up. It's it's. Wanting to have more and more of what we have enough of already. How much is enough for you? It doesn't mean you can't try to have an improved lifestyle. But are you content? What, what is driving you? Are you being led by the Holy Spirit or something else? What's driving you to accumulate wealth or stuff? God's answer is a contented heart. I'm okay with what God has provided for me. What do we need versus what do we want? Okay? Verses 20 through 24, it's the process of spiritual transform, transformation. The believer's mind, the, the believer's way of thinking is to, is to be transformed. To be transformed spiritually. This doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifetime. It's a day by day. As I learn to follow Christ, my life, my mind is transformed. Um, the believer's way of thinking embraces the life and teaching of Jesus. Verses 20 through 21. It embraces the life and teaching of Jesus. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way, that's not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. This is about our thinking, something that is learned, something that is taught. It's about truth. This is not just about how I feel, but it's about reality. It's about truth from God's perspective. And how are we going to embrace the life and teaching of Jesus? Well, study the life of Jesus. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Give yourselves to know Jesus through his book. 
through his life. The apostles in the New Testament, like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and Apostle John, give us firsthand experience, a firsthand view, members of his body, the church. And so, give ourselves to the study of the Bible. And we learn about what following Christ is like. John 8, 31 and 32 reminds us of this. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus is saying, If you follow my teaching, if you do what I say, if you obey what I teach, then you're really a follower of Christ. You are really a disciple, a genuine follower of Christ. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is about putting truth into life. It's not just intellectual knowledge where, gosh, I know a whole lot of Bible facts about Jesus because I've read the Bible. No, it's about putting it into your life, into obedience. That's how we learn about following Christ. That's how we learn the way of Jesus, is by doing what Jesus instructed. In Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, this is the Great Commission. We, we quote it all the time. We say our mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. And we take it from this passage. Jesus said these words. It was after he was resurrected. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We try to do that. We try to help people connect with God by sharing the good news about Jesus. We take time to have a baptism service so that people who come to faith, who, who are connected with God, can be baptized as followers of Christ. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything. This is called the great omission. This is often left out of Christian's way of thinking. Jesus wants us to be a fully devoted follower. Obey my commands. Also, verse 22, the believer's way of thinking. It consciously turns away the old, destructive, self-centered pattern of thinking. This is what Augustine did with Claudia. I can just imagine what it would be like if, you know, okay, Augustine had this relationship with Claudia. He must have loved her, told her he loved her or something. You just can't walk away from this girl. You've got to care about her. That would be kind. Wouldn't Jesus do that? No, I think, I think Augustine made a really good decision here. He knew what would happen to him if he stopped and got involved in thinking this through and thinking about her needs and that he doesn't want to hurt her feelings. And he wants her to know that he loves her and values her and all these. He did. It consciously turns away the old destructive self-centered pattern of thinking. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. One thing to sometimes I think needs to be clarified we're making a distinction between a believer and an unbeliever. 
A believer, a genuine follower of Christ, has two natures. An old nature and a new nature. An old capacity to be self-centered and uh, self-focused and to do what one wants. And a new nature, a new capacity to please God. An unbeliever has only one capacity. It's the old nature And they do not have the capacity to please God no matter how hard they try or how many good works they do. They do not have the capacity. And we need to understand that. We need to put off the old and put on the new. Verse 23, it's transformed a new attitude. The believer's way of thinking is to be transformed to a new attitude. To be made new, verse 23, and the attitude of your minds. This is a change from the old to the new. The Apostle Paul showed us this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. New American Standard says, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Um, And this is the goal of our transformation is to have the mind of Christ, to have the attitude of Christ. This is the goal. We're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect in this life. We're never going to be perfect in this life. But this is our goal. And we need to see how Jesus lived and uh, to have his attitude. This is as I seek to follow Christ, I can be transformed. Um. Verse 24, it involves becoming more like Christ and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To put off the old, put on the new, becoming more like Christ. We were originally created in the image of God, but something happened. Sin entered the universe in Genesis chapter 3 and our natures changed in humanity and we are all born with a sin nature and the image of God has been marred and flawed. And there are a lot of good things about humanity, but it is flawed without Christ. And and we are created to be like God, created to be in the image of God. And as I follow Christ, as you follow Christ, as we seek to walk with Him day by day, God transforms and conforms us back more and more into the image of this is the Son of God. He is God. He's the Creator as well. And God is, is uh, forming and molding us back to be like God in true righteousness and true holiness. As we follow, uh, as we follow Christ, we will become more like Christ. It also includes growing in spiritual knowledge. As we follow Christ, we will grow in spiritual knowledge, spiritual understanding. Question is, how do we grow in spiritual knowledge? How do we grow in spiritual understanding? The way you and I are going to grow is to immerse ourselves in this book. To be a person of the book. Um, This... God's word is like spiritual nutrients for our soul. It's nourishment for our heart. It builds us. Uh, It gives us discernment. It helps us discern 
uh, right and wrong, good and evil. It helps us navigate through the gray areas because wisdom comes from God. There's a lot of gray areas. Some areas are black, some areas are white, and there's a whole lot of gray that we have to navigate as Christ followers. Jesus had a prayer in John 17, 17. He said this, sanctify them. He was praying for his followers. Sanctify them uh, to set them apart. Make them holy. He's praying to the Father. Father, sanctify them by the truth. Scripture, the word of God. And then he says, your word is truth. God's word is truth. And this is how God is sanctifying us. He's making us more like him through the book. It's not just head knowledge. It's also the heart knowledge when we apply it to our lives. It includes surrender to Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You've heard me say this many times. In 11 chapters in the book of Romans to this point, there are only two commands in Romans chapter 6. There are no commands in the other chapters. And now we come to this decision in chapter 12. In view of God's mercy, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, which is about the meaning of the death, the meaning and significance of the death of Christ, he says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your body, all your body parts, every one. Offer your whole self, offer your heart, offer your mind. In totality, offer yourself to God. Yield to him. Put your life into his hands. As a living sacrifice. I want to live this way. Today. I want to get up tomorrow and live that way. And it is uh, holy and pleasing to God. And it's proper worship, by the way. It's a lifestyle of worship, okay? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's exactly what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You yield. You you give yourself. You offer yourself totally to God. And your mind will be renewed and transformed and changed. And you'll you'll be focused on becoming more like Jesus. And you know what? This is God's will for your life. You want to know God's will? A lot of people come and they want to know, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. Well, this is one of those things. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. And it includes this. Offering your bodies to God. Not conforming to the pattern of the world. Okay. You know what? I'm going to jump all the way to the end. And we're just going to end with cleaning out the old. This is where... uh, can we, can we go to, if yes, right there, if, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Cleaning out the old. There we go. So, um, if, you know, just some of the things we've talked about already. Um, we've talked about things like um, our thought life, what, what, it, things like impurity. Um, there's a whole lot of things in the second part uh, we'll talk about next week. Uh, you know, if God were to examine your life right now, what would he bring to your mind that is not pleasing to him? 
your thought life, your actions, your words, what have you said to people? Have you hurt somebody in your family? Have you dishonored somebody in the workplace? Um, This is not written to unbelievers. This is written to believers only. Believers fail unbelievers. This does not apply to an unbeliever. Believers fail. After, you know, my sins were forgiven September 29th, 1974 at 4.30 in the morning. My sins were forgiven. But you know what? Guess what? I still sin. My life has been transformed, but I still fail God. And this promise right here is given to us to deal with that when we fail. If we confess our sins, agreeing with God, we're saying, yeah, God, this is a sin. You're right. He, God, is faithful and he is just. This is justice in the eyes of God and will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. We have an opportunity to be purified. I don't know what you were like when you walked in here today, but you want to walk out of here with a clean slate and be purified? Then just, you know, we can do this. Just confess in your own heart to God and ask this between you. You can do this privately. You don't have to come to me in a wooden box and tell me about them. You just need to do this between you and God, all right? And then restore the new. Back to Romans 12.1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves totally to Him. Say, God, here I am with all my imperfections. You know, you know what they are. You know what you're disappointed in yourself about. But God, here I am. I'm yours. I want to yield my life to you. I want to be available to whatever you want to do, whatever you want. Can you do that? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the reminder of uh, Ephesians chapter 4 this morning about our way of thinking. And um, Father think of other people, our critical natures, our disappointments, sometimes when we get offended, our lack of forgiving other people, sometimes it's our impure thought life, immoral actions, whatever it may be, it's between you and God, just take some time and Just talk to him right now. Confess your sins. Just agree with, acknowledge what they are before God. Ask him to forgive you. Please know that if you confess your sins, it's a promise from God. He will forgive you. You will be purified. Leave a lie that comes from the enemy. It's about the way of thinking. Focus on the truth. And now with Romans 12.1, offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Offer your body. Offer yourself totally in your mind, in your heart. Tell God that you're His. He's redeemed you. You belong to Him. 
Now just remind him that you're all in with what he wants. Gracious God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.